friends, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues to the table from a woman's perspective with wit and wisdom. I'm so excited today because I have a very special guest that is very far away in a very cold place, <laughs> and I want to introduce you to her and tell you a little bit about her. Alesheba is a survivor of domestic violence and rape. She escaped her family compound on a snowmobile at 29 years of age. Alishaba is the eldest of 15 brothers and sisters of an ex-hippie parents. Robert Allen Hale, Alishaba's father, was sentenced to 14 years in prison. She forgave her father for the abuse. I escaped my father's prison, and this is my journey to forgiveness. Alishaba, thank you so much for coming on Annie's Pink Chair today. I'm so happy to have you. And you look super homey right now. Where are you right now? Yes, I'm at our little uh, home that we have for uh, Airbnb. Just okay. down the street from our house. Yeah. Okay. Are you, is it cold where you are right now? Or is it like summertime there still? It's, it's going into fall. Yeah. Down to sometimes into the 40s and 50s, basically. Wow, because Las yeah. Vegas is super hot all the time, except for the winter. And right now we're kind of in a warm season. So, but I oh, wanted wow. to talk to you today and just have my listeners and watchers learn about your story because your story is really incredible. Mm. And it's really like actually unbelievable. Like, I feel like when mm. I say snowmobile, you're going to escape on a snowmobile. It's literally in my mind because I used to ride snowmobiles as a little girl because I'm from Minnesota and Wisconsin. Oh. So I wow. can't imagine escaping on a snowmobile because that is like, you must have had to go a long ways. How did that part in your life get to this point where you are now? Because obviously you escaped abuse. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself growing up? Sure. Thank you, Annie. It's a privilege to be here. Um, so for me, I actually grew up 29 years in the wilderness. That was pretty much all I knew um, when I was three years old. My father, who was a hippie, Robert Allen Hale, and my mother um, went to the mountains, the Rocky Mountains of New Mexico. And we lived off of the land. And for my little girl inside, I always... Uh, knew nothing but survival and living off of the land. But for me, it was this constant trying to please my father, because if I didn't do it right, he would beat me and um, he would beat my siblings and I, or we'd get thrown out of the house for like long period of times without food and water. And we'd work really hard. Like I was, six years old milking the cow and walking across the mountains trying to find her when she was missing. And so life was um, full of a lot of hard work. But even as a little baby, my father would take me and sexually abuse me. Of course, I didn't know that. And I didn't even know that till later on in my life when he told me all about it. And it wasn't till I was about in my teens, I think I was 12 years old when my father sat me down because I went to my mom and shared some struggles I was having 
And I was just really confused about life and what, you know, growing up as a little girl, what that meant. Um, and he sat me down and he, he interrogated me for hours for every thought I've ever had and every time I'd ever touched myself. And up to that point, I had only ever slept with my father and bathed with my father. And I just remember the cringing feelings of uh, when he say, come get in the bathtub. I would like linger as long as I could because I felt so trapped there. Um, but then he would tell me what's taking so long and he would tell me to come and I would like literally try to convince my father when he told me that uh, I was really trying to stay away from him and I didn't want him and I would beg him to believe that I gave my life for him and that I would do anything to please him. So in the bathtub at like 10 years old, cuddled beside my dad and him messing around with himself, really just feeling so trapped and not understanding what was going on. So when my father got religion was when I was three, actually, and things started really going strange at that point. Um, but I didn't know it because it was all normal for me. It was just, you know, shocking when he came up and said, okay, Alicia, I want you and your brother to get your dolls and your teddy bears. And we're going to put them in this old feed sack and we're going to take them down and throw them in the dump because they're idols and we're worshiping them. And we're supposed to only worship God. And what happened inside of me was that I was so evil. Like, why would I do such a thing? Why would I worship this idol? Like, I, but I love my dolly. It was all I had. And um, I felt evil from the inside out. Yeah. So when you say you felt evil, what what does that mean? And I wanted to also ask you a question uh, about your parents. You said they're hippies. Do people even understand what that term means anymore? What do you mean by the term hippie? So my father actually grew up a very rich man, a very rich boy, and had a his dad was an FBI agent. His F, his his father actually was behind um, Edgar J. Hoover, who got shot um, as a guard. So he didn't have a lot of attention. So pretty much life really went bad for my father and. He didn't have that attention that he needed. And I think when he was around 20, a lot of things had happened in his life. He'd been married. She had shot herself and all kinds of things. So he went to the become a hippie and lived on communes and became like a leader everywhere he went. And he was also a Satan worshiper where he taught people how to worship Satan. And then... When he was that was, before the Christianity or the so-called cult Christianity? Yes, this is before I came along. So he was basically like a leader in all this uh, really satanic stuff. So bad. Well, when so when he was like 33, he he landed in the deserts of California actually and met my mom who was 16, and basically you know just living with nude, with no clothes on and with a whole community of people sleeping with people, sleeping around. It was just that kind of like, you do whatever you want kind of thing. And I was born in the middle of that. And it was so bad. Like he 
literally got in a fire one time and just started throwing fire at me. And I still have a huge scar on my leg to d- today from this deep wow. third degree wound that just landed on my baby leg. And that's terrible. Um, now, the other thing was, is, is I was going to ask you because you're the first born. And so what was happening to your other siblings? Were they being sexually abused or treated in, like you said that your dad would beat you guys. Were they being also sexually abused by your father? So that's a question I probably don't want to answer for their sake. Um, in my heart and mind, there was nothing that was right about sex because none of us knew what sex were. We heard constantly, do not look at yourself. You're not allowed to touch yourself. If you do, you're evil. If you even have a thought about it. And yet we had a toilet right behind his chair that we had to go to the bathroom on in front of everyone. So it was a real strange dynamic where you don't look, but you go right there and in the middle of the room. So there was a lot of embarrassment. So however you call that, um, for me as a little girl, I just felt a lot of shame, a lot of prison. And it got worse for me when I turned 12. Uh, My father quit, let me, I wasn't allowed to be seen by anyone in the world if we went to town. I was supposed to hide and close curtains. My brothers, I had five brothers after me. So pretty much I knew my brothers and I, until I was 14, but he started keeping me at his feet and I was supposed to rub his feet and his hands and do nothing but serve him. And so he would fight with my mom when I was little, like when he would scream and yell at her, I always felt like it was my fault because my father told me that it was my job to keep him happy. And so if I didn't, it was my fault when he was so angry. And I just carried that weight, that shame, that every time he was angry with my siblings or my mother, I hadn't served my father well enough. Wow. Well, you know, it sounds like beyond the shame and you, you mentioned feeling evil. What does that entail to you feeling evil? Is it full of shame and guilt and fear or what does it feel like to feel evil when you were a little girl? Like, yes. So as a little girl, like my purpose was all based around making Papa happy. And when I couldn't make him happy, I felt like I was disappointing God because he preached the Bible. That's all we heard. We didn't have schooling. So we heard the King James Bible every day preached at us. He would sit us at his feet for hours. And I just felt like God was so angry with me if I went against the rules that my father has said and feeling like there was no way he would accept me into heaven because it just felt inside that I couldn't live up. I could not live up to those things. And, you know, like I, the feeling of wanting my doll was evil just to have the thought or the feeling and, um, the the thought or the feeling of seeing myself, (laughs) my naked self, was like so evil and so like horrible because I believed what my father said. And um, by the time I turned 19, 
uh, my dad had had formed my mind to believe so much that this was all I was worth and that my worth was built around being um, an advocate, I guess, for my family and being there to keep Papa happy as much as I could. And I couldn't. I mean, I spent so many days in trouble and I'd be out like digging post hole into the ground. Like if anyone has ever done that, but those big heavy things you dig in the ground and just like hours and hours and days and blisters just covering my hand and leaning up against the post and looking off into the distance, crying out to Jesus, like, where are you? Like, how could Papa do this? Like, how could he be so mean? Like, and yet he says he loves us. And so it was like, if I was caught, though, if the siblings caught me smiling, I was beat with a whip, a leather braided whip that would just like the, the, the blisters on my hands would just rise. And every time I screamed and the more I screamed, the more it worked up my father and he would just whip me across my back and my head and my legs. Um, that that is very, very. Uh, first of all, absolutely disgusting that a little girl mm -hmm. and your brothers and sisters would have to go through this type of growing up lifestyle. Like I, I just can't imagine. Yeah. It does remind me of my childhood in a way, but although my father never sexually abused me, uh, your father, you know, he sounds like a monster. I'm going to just be honest with you. And also the feelings mm -hmm. that you had, the shame and the guilt and just the, the fear, like I'm sure you felt full of fear. I'm positive that you have since the day you were born, experienced childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. brain cannot develop correctly or function normally when you're in a situation where you're constantly in fear. So obviously, right. I mean, how could you even like feel normal? Like, do you, did you even know what normal felt like? In other words, did you? Or did you want to know what it felt like to be normal? See, that's that's the thing. I wanted, I was crying out for something different, crying out for an angel, crying out for Jesus. Um, but I didn't know what normal was. I thought that was normal. I mean, it was told to us that the world is evil and everything they do is wrong. And we're the only righteous ones in the world. So this was normal. Um, but then like down inside, like God gave me the conscience and he also showed up for me so many times. The God that was being preached at me saying, you know, you live up to this. It's either heaven or hell. And mm. Papa's got to beat the devil out of you in order for you to make it to heaven. It sounds like he was not the, the Jesus. Out of him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I interrupted you, but it sounds like he the did. monster inside him needed to get his, you know, it beat out of him. So right. let's go, yeah. let's go to the conclusion because <laughs> I want to know how you got away because obviously when you're in such terror and fear and abusive situation, and I just want to clarify with anyone that's watching or listening to this right now, this is not Christianity at all. None of it. Mm -mm. The abuse, the, mm -hmm. oh, we're righteous. The world's wrong. No, 
If I could say anything about your story, the best part is when you escaped and also how you were crying out to Jesus. To me, that is the real Jesus, you know, escaping that and yes. asking him to help you, even though you didn't even have a great or a first time representation of who he was and is mm -hmm. at that time, right? So tell us what right. happened to you that you had enough courage to leave that situation and try to find out who Jesus really was. Well, I have to say this, that it was all those times like um, that Jesus actually did reveal himself to me. And just, just like once in the cabin, in the attic of our cabin when I was seven, I, he had me laying there for days and days and days. And I thought he had killed my kitty. Um, I cried out to Jesus. And he showed up for me. He brought me my kitty who cuddled up with me, who I really thought was dead. And just little things like that all, all throughout my um, childhood. As I went back and I wrote my story, I actually found out like, wow, he really was there every time. He did hear my cry. Um, I didn't quite realize it because I was so blinded by the, the worth that I had that was none. And um when I was 19 till the time I was 29, which is 10 years, my dad started raping me constantly every day. Like it was a real, that was all I was worth. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, I was kneeling down at a little river. This is in Alaska because in 2000, we moved to Alaska and whole story. But um we moved way out in the Wrangell Mountains, and it's like we had moved up this valley, up a McCarthy Valley that was like 17 miles. And in the winter time, the only way to get there is on a snow machine. And this was our way out and the way in, and it's just one little trail. And so it was on my 29th birthday that my father had pretty much killed me so many times. Like, honestly, I was on the ground and on the floor, just in blood and reaching for a bit, a bench and had me locked in this little place because I told my father, I said, I don't understand. Like everything you've taught me doesn't line up to the Jesus that I have heard about that. I, there's something wrong. Like, I don't worship Jesus. I worship you. And that day was when he almost killed me. And I just know how the, how he was there. And like in that moment, I heard the words, I won't give you more than you can bear. And I won't forsake you. And it was just enough for me to keep going. And it was also enough for me to tell my father the truth and beg him to give me some time out to a little river, just up, it was up in this like little ravine out in the middle of the wilderness. And um, I sat there just watching the river go by and I just started asking God, like, what is the truth here? Why do I feel so evil? And my father had told me that if I even questioned what he did, that was evil. So it was like no way out, no way in, no way up and no way down. Like, if I left my father and called what he did evil, he told me that God could never forgive me. 
And yeah, inside I felt so evil. So I would just beg God, like, if I die today, will you please pardon my sins because I did what my father said? Um, and it was at that moment where I, um, there was a couple moments I'll put together, but he had given me the Bible verse. I opened the Bible and found this Bible verse that said, um, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And I realized in that moment that it was really true. I knew I was forsaken and Jesus was there every time I was ready to take my last breath and he kept me going. And I realized that I had to do something to get away. And so I think it really is the big moment because all this time, you know, I'd walk through the store and he'd make me hold his hand and there was just so much shame, shame everywhere I went. And yet at this point, I was ready to worship God over my father. And I didn't know what that looked like. Um, it's so a long story. So how did you get to the, uh, the uh, snowmobile? So my father had, uh, this was, my father had decided that he was going to go down the mountain and get some fuel because we hauled all our stuff up in the winter on our snow machines. And um, my brothers had already hooked it and left because they couldn't change my father, um, which was a big deal. And I was terrified to leave because I figured if I left, my mom and my siblings would be in danger. But I reached this point where I was ready, but I couldn't get away because my father wouldn't let me. I mean, it was there was no way. And when he went down the mountain on the snow machine, I whispered to my mother and my sisters that I was leaving. And I was going to go to the wilderness, actually, and disappear probably forever. And um so I went and got on the snow machine to get it going. And my father had sabotaged all the machines that we had left, knowing in his heart that I was really trying to get away. So it's a long story, but it was a very narrow escape as I finally got the snow machine going and my sister wanted to come with me. We jump on the snow machine with supplies and sheets and enough to last for a while. And um, we get down the mountain just off off the hill onto a um, riverbed and my snow machine fell apart. And so we ran back for another one and managed to get another one going. And halfway down, I was saying, God, am I going the, am I doing the wrong thing? Like, have I done, have I really sinned? If my father finds me now, he's going to kill me. There's no way I'm going to make it through this. Hmm. And our snow machine ran out of gas. And Truly, it, honestly, at that moment, there was no hope except for I looked down and there was a snow machine sitting there that we had left partially coming up a previous trip. And my father had regassed it up. So once again, Jesus showed up for me and made way. And we piled onto that machine and barely got off the hill and covered up with white sheets and just buried ourselves and waited along the river's bed. And there came my father just 10, 15 minutes later, passed right by us. And we just put it into gear and um, went really fast. But to me, that was just the beginning of freedom. <laughs> freedom yeah. wasn't really physical. It was you know, you, inward you, for me. Right. You wrote a book because we only have a couple minutes left. 
Oh. And it's called yes. Out of the Wilderness. Can you tell us more about that and where people can pick that book up or where they can look on the internet to find that book so they can read your book? Because yes. obviously you can't tell your whole life story in 25 minutes. You just can't. No. <laughs> no. And the best part is left. So I have written my story down in the book called out of the wilderness. And, um, I have it here. It's, it's really, I wrote the story and you can find it on, um, out of the wilderness book.com. Uh, it's really my story of how I came out of all that and found forgiveness and how important it is to realize that you don't have to be stuck for the rest of your life in abuse. And it doesn't matter how many layers that Jesus can walk it with you. Um, and that forgiveness is a journey. There's a lot of layers there, but it is so worth it because for me, I'm not stuck there anymore. And um, I get to choose to move forward and not be stuck in that message that I heard all my life that I wasn't worth anything because I am worth everything to God. And that's what he made that's me for. Right. And, um, yeah, it's a journey and I don't want people to ever give up and realize that your story matters. Like everyone has a story and your story is the most important story you'll ever walk. And you can't compare stories. There's there's so much hope because, you know, it. the stats say that one and three, and some people will argue with me about this, but one in three little girls uh, are sexually yeah. abused. And we don't even know how many of the that percentage is the actual family member, but it's usually, you know, a pretty high percentage, unfortunately. And I just want to commend you for having the guts and the courage to come forward and talk about your story and also... Mm -hmm to, Thank you. you know, again, it was so, you know, obviously growing up like that was just so like shame filled and fear based, but now you have a platform to tell your story and to share with others that are maybe stuck in maybe not the exact same situation, but similar situations mm -hmm. and maybe the exact situation where they have to get away. And what would you say? You have 30 seconds. What would you say to them? Like one sentence. I would say <laughs> um, you can do it. God loves you and you're not alone. Amen, you're worth girl. it and beautiful. And yes. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on our show. And hopefully maybe next time you'll be in Las Vegas. You can come visit us at the studio. <laughs> that would Thank be you, awesome. Alashiva. Thank you so much for coming on today. And we love you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see Thank you, you Annie. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, friends, so much for joining Annie's Pink Chair today. I am Annie Lobert, and we'll see you next time on Annie's Pink Chair. Hi, friends. It's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair, and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called The Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here? The peace, the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to 
when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much.